Good morning, and thank you all for coming out. I understand for some in County Down, it was a cold, frosty, foggy morning. Moved to County Antrim. It was nice and bright and sunny. But thank you all for coming. As Neville has said, we're looking at a series entitled Waiting for the Promise. We're going to do two before the Christmas carol services, and then on New Year's Eve, we'll finish with Waiting for the Promise and look at the wise men. And you might think it's strange that we're waiting from the promise, looking at events which happen after the Nativity, but I hope over the next couple of weeks that we will be able to explain to you and show to you what the Bible teaches, which is the real meaning, the true meaning of Christmas. I wonder if I was to ask you which Bible character from the Nativity scene was the first to fully comprehend it, to first to really understand what was happening. I wonder who you would pick. Mary? Joseph? The shepherds? The wise men? John's parents? Unfortunately, you'd be wrong in all of them. Because the first person to fully comprehend, fully comprehend what was happening at the incarnation was a man called Simeon. And I want to read with you, and then we're going to use the text and follow the text step by step to illustrate to you how we understand what Simeon saw. And so, if you look with, in your Bibles at Luke chapter 2, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page number 875. And I just want to jump in at the end of verse, or verse 19, at the end of the story about the shepherds visiting Mary and Joseph and the baby. Look to verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Can I just pause there? Mary treasured up all these things. How do we have the account which is in Luke's gospel? Luke says at the very start that he is a historian. Luke says that I have scrutinized, that I have looked at the sources, and I have come to this account. And when we read that Mary treasured up in her heart, it's a very unique word. It has the idea of gathering things together. Now, in the time of Christ, you wouldn't have had photographs. You wouldn't have had baby books. You wouldn't have had all the associated things and the paraphernalia that goes on with a baby being born today. It was easier when I was born. You got one photograph taken at the local photographer, and that was it. But in those days, the mother would have been no different. She would have gathered things. And some historians and some commentators believe that that little word treasured is that Mary retained some kind of her own account. 
of what happened. Mary treasured him and pondered him in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present them to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought, him, brought in the child Jesus to do to him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelations to the Gentiles and for the glory of your, to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Waiting. On the 9th of October, 1492, and you can tell I'm a history teacher. Christopher Columbus was facing a mutiny. The man on his ship said, we have traveled far enough. We have gone far enough. We need to turn this ship back. And Christopher Columbus pleaded with the men, and he reminded them of a promise. And the promise that he made, reminded them of, was that the king and queen of Spain promised that the first man who saw land would receive 10,000 pieces of silver, gold, and silks, and would become wealthy. He said, give me three more days. And if in three more days we haven't found land, we will turn and we will return. The man agreed. On the night of the 11th stroke 12th of October, 1492, at two o'clock in the morning, the men on the ship were all out on the deck, scrutinizing the horizon, because something had changed. The wind direction was changing. They could smell a different smell of land. There were birds in the sky. The currents were moving. Something was happening. There must be land. 
And one man who was given the task of up in what we would call the crow's nest today, right up there, right up in the top at the front of the ship, looking out, and they were all looking, looking and looking, staring into the abyss, knowing that a promise was coming if they could only see the land. And this man at the very front, and we even have his name, I think it was Triano. Triano came and shouted, land, I see land. And the ship sailed along the side of San Salvador, which Christopher Columbus named it after the Savior. And the Americas have been found by the Europeans. The Americas still existed. The Europeans found it. You think, what on earth is the connection between that and Simeon? And I think as we go through what we're going to look at this morning, the connection will be clear. Waiting. This is the first day of Advent. Hands up if you've got an Advent calendar. Come on, it's called interactive. Hands up if you've got an Advent. Oh, thanks, Richard. <laughs> got half a dozen Advent calendars, okay? I'm not even going to ask this. How many of you have got uh, this mischievous elf? Okay, we're all anticipating. We're all waiting because it's an event to come. We have moved into Advent, and we are now looking forward to an event. We're waiting. But what is the promise that we are waiting for? And sometimes we just assume that people know what we mean whenever we talk in Christian circles about the promise. And the reality is that in the confusion that exists outside there, in the outside world, the message of the promise has become diluted and confused. I've had a person from the Far East ask me, when did Santa Claus visit the manger? We think that's funny, eccentric. But no, that's the message that we're communicating. That's the message that is going out, that it's all got blurred and it's all got messed up as we wait for the promise. And when we communicate the promise, we focus on the nice bits, the shepherds, the wise men, the inn, all of those aspects which make nice Christmas cards. And we miss the promise because the very word says it's something which in the past was talked about which is about to happen. Christopher Columbus said, we were promised whenever we left Spain that whenever we would see land, we would become wealthy. The promise was made long before they departed. And just like today, we look out waiting for the promise. The promise of the coming of the Messiah was made hundreds of years before he came. And so, Let's try this again. Why does Luke record the incidents with the shepherds, which we briefly talked about, 
Simeon and Anna in his account of the incarnation. Why does he do that? Matthew, as you know, starts with a genealogy. And he takes the whole incarnation and presents it to the Jews. Mark, he starts off with the work of Christ, and he, he takes it and presents it to the Romans. John, he starts off with the deity of Christ, and, and he presents it to the world. So what, what's Luke doing? Well, Luke is coming, and he's speaking, and he's putting together an historical record, which was primarily for the Greek and the Greek-speaking world. And so why does he start with shepherds, Simeon, Anna? Well, you see, the reason is it's an authentic historical record. He's an historian. And whenever I was teaching A-level history, I would say to my students, look for those within your document which can authenticate the event, the facts, the dates, the names, the places. They cannot be changed. They're accurate. And Luke actually starts off, and he starts off his account in uh, chapter 2, and he gives us a precise date, a precise time, a precise moment, a precise location, and he gives us precise names. He could have said an old man. He doesn't. He says it was Simeon. He could have said Anna or an old woman. He doesn't. And we'll come back to this next week. He is precise. He is so precise. It's like saying David Farrell spoke in the Crescent Church on the 1st of December, 2023, and his father was Alec Farrell. That's how precise Luke is being whenever he talks about Anna and whenever he talks about Simeon and when he talks about the events of the incarnation. He gives a date, a time, place. But the other reason he does it is he's talking about ordinary people who are given an extraordinary message. You would have expected this message to have been publicized in the broadsheets of the day. You'd have expected people to have been able to see it and to hear it from the authorities. You'd have expected it to come from the palace, from the high priest, from those towers and people to be shouting, no, it's no man. It's shepherds. It's no woman. And so with that in mind, let's look at what, is, what it actually says. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus. The name given before he was conceived. Just think about that for a second. They knew he was going to be male, and they knew he was going to be called Jesus. Not before he was born, before he was conceived. And what we have here is that the Lord Jesus is taken by his parents. And it's interesting that Luke mentions parents, Mary and Joseph. 
because we know that Joseph technically was not the father. It was a virgin birth. But this is a legal term. Just like an adoptive couple would say about their children that we are their parents. And so they brought him along at the age of eight, and it was more than likely that he went to Bethlehem, to the synagogue in Bethlehem. He would not have had to come to Jerusalem to be circumcised. They went to the local synagogue, following the law of Leviticus, doing exactly what the law required. And that's an interesting point, because Luke reinforces time and time and time again, according to the law, according to the law, according to the law. And he goes back to the law of Leviticus and the Lord Jesus Christ and Mary and Joseph, and to use the technical term, his parents, fulfilled every aspect of that law. And so he was circumcised when he was eight days old. And when the time came for his purification, or for their purification, you see, according to the Levitical law, that Mary, whenever she was 40 days after giving birth, she had to come to Jerusalem and she had to be purified before she could engage again in the ceremonies of the synagogue. After 40 days, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Let's imagine that little journey from Bethlehem. They arrive on the outskirts of the temple. If you're wealthy, you can have a lamb and doves. If you're not wealthy, you can have little turtle doves or pigeons. And so they come there, and there's money changers, because you're not allowed to use normal money in the temple. And they're extortionate rates. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ overturned their tables. And they're making a profit out of the sacrifice. And Joseph comes up and he buys what is required for purification. Not the lamb. The doves. He was poor. Financially struggling. And he probably muttered under his breath as they exchanged this money at extortionate rates and charged them extortionate rates for what he required. But he fulfilled the law. And the reason they came was this. Because the Levitical law says that the firstborn of any family was declared holy. And this takes us right away back to Genesis to Exodus and to the Passover, when God preserved the life of the firstborn. And the firstborn from that time onward was declared to be holy in the sight of the Lord and was to serve on, if they were in the tribe of Levi, in the priesthood, and any other firstborn had to be redeemed. I want you just to note that word, redeemed. What did that mean? The parents of a firstborn would come into a temple and they would purchase their son back from service 
for five shekels. And then they would make a sacrifice. And the sacrifice would also be made for the mother. The Redeemer was redeemed. We'll come back to that next week. But note that it says, according to the law. Now, just keep going, Alex, we're okay. These things are useless, aren't they? <laughs> now, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The ESV just says, now there was a man. That's weak. It's almost a head-turning expression. It was an expression of, turn around, have a look, identify him. It, it's not just, uh, oh, there was a man. No, it's stopping people in their tracks, looking around, have a look. There was a man who was in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, in the picture, Simeon is an elderly man. We assume Simeon was an elderly man because of what he says later on. More than likely, he was an elderly man. But this man, Simeon, he was there in the temple grounds, and that's all we know about his background, his name, and that he was there. Go ahead, Alex, thanks. But what do we know about him? And what are we going to develop over the next 10 minutes? Three things. Simeon was in step with God's standards. Simeon was in tune with God's Word. And Simeon was in touch with God's purpose. And we don't see Simeon on the Christmas cards. We don't have a picture of an old man holding a baby and saying, Happy Christmas under it. Have you ever wondered why? Luke takes a significant part of the whole nativity story to tell us about Simeon and Anna. And we note we don't pay much attention to them. So let's deal with the first one. It's step with God's standards. Here's what it says. There is a man in Jerusalem, and he, the man was righteous and devout. Devout describes the man's inner heart, and righteous describes his external practical pursuit of godliness. If you like, it's a horizontal. It's his relationship with each other, with other people, is his righteousness. His devout is the vertical, and that was his relationship with God. Here, was an ordinary man who had the right relationship with God and demonstrated it by what he did. So God used him. Devout and righteous. So God could use them. Where are we? Where would we stand? We're not expected all to be Simeons. 
But that is the message of this passage, that we have got to have a relationship with the living God, and not only just an academic knowledge and lots of Bible verses coming out of our fingertips and knowing all the concordances and everything else and listen to every sermon of the day and everything that we can do and absorb it. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a man who had a conversation with God. He's talking about a man who could have a chat with God. He's talking about a man who had a relationship with God. He was talking about a man who communicated with God. He was in tune with God. And he was in step with God's standards because he practiced what he preached. What we need are men and women of a relationship with God and practice what he preaches. So he's in step with God's standards. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. For those of you who don't know, in the, later in the Bible, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we have the event called Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And whenever post that, the Bible talks that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. But in the Old Testament and prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And God would send His Holy Spirit upon specific individuals at specific times for specific purposes. And Simeon was so in tune with God and was so righteous in his actions that the Holy Spirit came upon him and God was able to use him. We have the Holy Spirit in us. It doesn't come upon us. Whenever we are born again, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in us. He is the indwelling power within us. We don't need to ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. If you're a believer in Christ, He's there. He gives you the power. He gives you the ability. He gives you the capacity to be devout and righteous. And Simeon was there, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, he was in tune with God's Word. The promise was prophesied long, long before the baby arrived in Jerusalem long before. What we have here, the very phrase that is being used here, waiting for the consolation of Israel, is almost a direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 40. And if you look back into the Old Testament and you look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, the Old Testament prepares the way for the coming of the Messiah. It tells us 
his name, Emmanuel. It tells us his place of birth. He tells us he will be a virgin birth. It tells him he is of the tribe of Judah. It tells us he will be a Jew. It tells us he will be of the family of David. It tells us everything in preparation. And he, Simeon, was in tune. He was ready. He knew what was to happen. And as he looked around about him, and as he looked at the circumstances which he found himself in, and as he looked around the land which had denied God, and as he looked at everything that was promised, he said, the Messiah is coming. He was ready. He was ready because he was in contact with God. He lived a righteous life. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He knew his word, the word of God. He was looking for the promise. He was ready. He was in tune with God's Word. And then he was in touch with God's purpose. It says he came into the Spirit, he came in the Spirit into the temple. The parents brought the child Jesus to do according to the custom of the law. Yet again, the law. Simeon took that child. Imagine you, Mary. Okay? Imagine you're there and how protective you are of your newborn. You're holding her, him in your arms. This man, probably an elderly man, walks up, reaches out, and takes the baby in his arms. And whenever he took the baby in his arms, he said these remarkable words, Lord, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Lord, a very unusual word. Not the normal word for Lord. It's only used five times in the New Testament. The word that he uses is the Lord, the man who is a slave master or one who is in charge of the servants. Lord. He's acknowledging who's in control. He's acknowledging who is directing his paths. He's acknowledging the one who is there, Lord. And he says, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. This is mine. Lord, you are in charge you're letting your servant depart in peace. Frequently used at funerals. It shouldn't be. Because there's a remarkable picture in this little verse. The master, the owner, the man who is in charge of the house, the one who is supreme, says to his slave, I want you to go out onto the ramparts and I want you to stand on the ramparts and watch out for the rising of the sun 
And when the sun rises, then you can come back to bed. Look after the place, guard it, your duty. Could you imagine being given that job? And you go up, and it's the Lord, the Master has told you to do it. And so you go up, and you stand on the ramparts, and you look out over the fields, and you look out over the property, and in the darkness, you watch and you scrutinize, but every so often, you lift your eyes to see if the dawn is coming. And you keep looking, and you keep looking, and then you look. No, it's not there. It's still dark. And you keep waiting, and you keep waiting, and then you look, and then you see a glimmer of light. And as the dawn arises, you can now depart in peace. You can go to bed. That's the picture. Here's a man who was waiting for the promise, was involved in waiting for the promise, lived for the waiting of the promise, looked for the waiting of the promise. And he now says, Lord, I can go home. I can go home. Lord, let your servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation. Christmas is not about Santa Claus. Christmas is not about presents. Christmas is not about, I'm beginning to sound like Scrooge, it's not about Christmas trees. It's not about family dinners. All of those are lovely, they're nice, there's something we all look forward to, but that's not the message of Christmas. That's the message we are communicating to the world about Christmas. But that's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is, mine eyes have seen your salvation. This morning in our Breaking of Bread service, Alex read Isaiah 53 for us. Simeon knew Isaiah 53. Simeon knew that one would die for the transgressions of the people. Simeon knew that the one who came, the one who was the Messiah, the one who was the anointed one, he knew that he was coming, and he was coming with a purpose to bring salvation to the world. Because you have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. A light. In this dark world in which we live, in which we see problem after problem after problem, in which we see issue after issue after issue. Let's communicate to that world out there that in this darkness, Christmas is light. The incarnation is salvation. That it is God stepping into human man mankind, stepping into time, stepping into our life and our world. His son becomes a babe. And here's a remarkable thing about Simeon. By the way, he's singing this. He sees a 40-day-old baby going to fulfill all of the Old Testament. 
by his eyes has seen your salvation. You're a light for the Gentiles. But the fact is that this will split people. Simeon then turns to Mary, and he talks specifically to Mary. He blessed him and said to Mary, Mary and Joseph, Mary, behold, this child is appointed to, for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is why Simeon's not on the Christmas card list. Mary, the horror of what is going to happen to your son, the horror is going to be like a sword piercing through your heart. Again, the word sword is significant because the word sword that he uses there is not the short, stabbing sword of the Roman. This is the slashing sword of the barbarian, which was worn over the back and drawn out and was one that was terror. And he says, Mary, this sword will, will slash through your heart. So, as he held that child, he could see the anguish of the cross. As he held that child, he could see Mary at the foot of a cross, weeping. As he held that child, he possibly would realize the pain and the anguish that Mary would go through. This child is your salvation. And that salvation is not in a manger. But that salvation, as we read earlier this morning, is Isaiah 53. As a lamb is led to the slaughter, he took upon himself the iniquity of us all. He died on our behalf. He died for our transgression. That is the salvation. That is the message of Christmas. That is the light to the world. That is what Simeon saw. And he says, these words will pierce you. And not only will you pierce you, but they will cause a division. There are those who will accept and those who will reject. Those who will accept and those who will reject. So, who understood what Christmas was all about? Who understood what the first nativity scene was all about? Yes, we have shepherds. Yes, we have wise men. Yes, we have a manger. No room in the inn. Silent night. We could go on. And we, we take that and we package it and we make it attractive. And we say to the world, here's what Christmas is. Yes, it is that. But it's more than that. 
because Simeon was the first man to realize that this was a fulfillment of all that had been talked about in the Old Testament. I will refer more to it next week. All that had been referred to, all that had been prepared, all that had been brought forward, and that baby, as he looked at him, was his salvation. And now, I can go home in peace. Waiting, waiting, and waiting. There's two types of waiting. There's waiting in the dentist. Mm -hmm. There's waiting for the delayed bus. There's waiting for your wife as she gets ready. There's waiting. But there's also another kind of waiting, an anticipation, looking to the promise. Simeon looked forward. And you and I today are waiting. Waiting. Just like Simeon. We're waiting in a dark, confused world. A world which has completely lost its direction. We're looking up and we're saying, when is he going to come? And I wake up nearly every morning and I almost feel like going physically onto my tiptoes to see, is he here yet? Because Jesus Christ is coming back again. And our commandment as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is to wait. Not just, oh no, not a delay. But anticipate, look forward to that promise to be devout, to be righteous, to know who we're waiting for. And in this dark world, a confused world, that world which has lost its direction. The message of Christmas is salvation and light. And we have a responsibility to carry it. Why is that verse my favorite verse in the Bible? I hope you understand now. Waiting. One day, you and I may waken up and we will hear the call and the trumpet. And you know what? It will have been worth waiting for. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence. And we thank you for the incarnation and the gift of your Son, the light, the salvation, the hope. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus, into this world. But we realize that the manger pointed to the cross. Simeon saw it. Help us, our Father, to see it as well. To see that while we have the joy and the pleasure of Christmas, that there is in the shadow a cross salvation, and light. Father, we wait. 
We rise each morning and we look and say, today, Lord, today. And our Father, we live and live devout and righteous and hopefully in your word as we anticipate and look for that day. We'd ask for your blessing upon us now as we wait. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus.